and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 119. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing Enterprise's first season episodes, Shuttlepod 1, Fusion, and Rogue Planet. Here we go. Shuttlepod 1, Season 1, Episode 16, Production Number 116, Original Air Date, February 13th, 2002, Directed by David Livingston, Written by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Commander Tucker and Lieutenant Reed have been on a mission to take tests targeting scanners on Shuttlepod 1, requiring them to be at least 20,000 kilometers from Enterprise. During their trials, they experienced an unusual jolt that disabled their sensory array and comm system, forcing them to arrive at the rendezvous point with Enterprise early. But the two men are shocked to find a field of debris on an asteroid surface, including a hull fragment that is unmistakably a piece of Enterprise. How about the lifeboats? They could have launched the lifeboats before the crash. They'd be here. They only go 300 kph. They'd be right here waiting for us to return. Are we sure there are no survivors? Commander, we have to figure out what we're going to do. Shuttlepod 1, you know, uh, I've often seen people re- reference this as being their favorite episode of Season 1. Um, I still think I like uh, Dear Doctor more. Um, I think it maybe holds up a little better. Uh, but Shuttlepod 1, it's a good episode that remains so for me, mostly when I, I have to kind of think about it. Like, I have to analyze it, and then I think... Okay, it's it's good. It's almost <laughs> like like the fact that it doesn't suck when it's two guys sitting talking for an hour in one little room. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that that doesn't suck is pretty amazing. You know, when I think about stuff like that, uh, then I look. Yeah, this is a good episode. Um, the performances are good. I think it. I think it holds up in that sense. Um, I think maybe maybe. Maybe this episode for me, and you guys, I, I'm happy to hear you disagree. I think for maybe for me, this episode has always been just a tiny bit overrated in that the writing, um, it's never as amazing as I as I thought it was. Or um, I mostly just like seeing these two and perform and go at it but i i don't know that it that they ever really there's there's not much of a moment that i really feel like it really digs down to the bone you know what i mean it never quite mm-hmm. never quite does that for me you know maybe the best it does is uh when reed is talking about how he you know he never really got close to anyone but with enterprise it was different you're starting just starting to feel comfortable with them. you know um but i'm not sure that it ever really Ever really gets down there. Uh, what are you guys' first thoughts here? Am I? Am I? I mean, don't get me wrong. This is a very good episode. It's probably the second best episode of the season. I like it a lot. It's one of half a dozen of season one. You know, I elected to play my spouse, who I'm only playing my favorite episodes for. So, you know, it's very good. Uh, but when I think about two people going at it, um, I think about like. You know the DS9 first season duet. Uh, that episode to me really takes it all the way. This episode doesn't quite get there. Obviously, duet has the advantage of weightier topics, but still. What are, you, what are you guys' first thoughts here? Um, I liked it and I didn't like it. To be honest with you, I kind of thought the structure of the episode was clumsy. When when I say that, I mean all the stuff that happened on Enterprise. Just the plot points that drove the story forward and got them into the situation. I just, I don't know, I thought it was clumsy and wasn't well put together. I did enjoy all the stuff in the shuttle pod that took place, the scenes between um, Tucker and um, Lieutenant Reed. Um, I thought they had a lot of good scenes in there and we got some good character stuff, more so from Reed than um, Tucker. But yeah, I I thought a lot of that stuff in there was good. Yeah, I would probably agree that much of what happens on the ship uh, is just an excuse for you know to explain where things are in the shuttle because that's the that's the important part or whatever the center of the episode. I, I do think it's very entertaining. I think I agree on the most part with what you said, uh, Brian, on this. And I I knew going in that I liked it. I still like it, um, but I, I think kind of like. It, 
upon deep analysis, it's not one of those that just seems like this is a uh, some incredible piece of art or something. I think it's I think it's like I said, I think it's very good. Um, I think it is, is a well balance of character development, humor. Um, it's, you know, you don't have, it, it's, it's not, it's not so weighty that you you can just kind of enjoy it and letting it go. And there's, you know, good jokes. And I do, I do like the insight you get, like, like we kind of indicated already, um, with, uh, learning about Reed and understanding his character and then, and then Tucker to perhaps to a lesser degree. Um, so I, and I think it's also interesting how this episode kind of led to a, a further friendship, which ultimately, you know, it's why they do convention appearances together all the time. You know, it all spawned from, I think, really from this episode in a way. It's funny when you see them together. For me, I immediately think of this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every single time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's not some kind of critical masterpiece, but I do find it very entertaining. And uh, yeah, that's, that's where I am. Well, we've talked about this before, but it's one of those things like I wonder... I know it would have made it ten times harder, but I wonder if um, what if they'd spent the entire time just in the shuttle pod? You know, mm, yeah. what if they tried yeah. to not cut back to the Enterprise? What if we really had no idea what was going on? Um, See, yeah, that was, I, you that, don't get the sense that they cut away to the Enterprise because any of that information is important in any way. You get the sense that they did that because they're scared yeah. about spending too much time on the shuttle yeah. pod yeah. you know yeah that did strike me early on I mean I made a note of thinking you know number one choice they decide to let the audience know that Enterprise is not destroyed on a shuttle although no one would think it's really destroyed but like they you know it's not even we just cut there so we know they're fine and life goes on and, and all that they made that choice pretty early on and and yeah could they have you know it would have been you're right it would have been a lot harder but maybe there would have been a, a chance to explore these things in more depth and do some more character development with them if they just decide to stay there. I think it would have made, would have helped the narrative in some ways. I think hearing Hoshi over the comm that yeah. first time would have been a lot more exciting. Mm-hmm. We would have felt a little bit more like what Trip and Reed felt. Yeah, yeah. And that would have allowed us to understand better, you know, be more empathetic with them. Um, I mean, I assume you guys, were, I, I remember. Th- thinking this episode was uh, was uh, a feat at the time. Um, you know, I remember at the time this episode sticking out uh, in the season. Um, do you guys, uh, you know, do you guys have that sense? Do you remember this as being something different at the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember thinking it was, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't probably analyze it particularly, you know, very much or anything, but I did, did think about how it's, how unusual it was where the primary action is just aboard that tiny little shuttle of them. Yeah. Where would you guys put this episode in season? I mean, is this up there? Like, like for me, we're, we're what three quarters of the way through the season, something like that farther mm-hmm. than I, than I realized. I would probably, my gut, Reaction is to agree what you're saying about like number two probably after, but I'd have to see a comprehensive list and finish out the season or something to be absolutely certain of that. And what would have what would number one be? Dear Doctor. Dear Doctor. Yeah. yeah okay. Adam. Mm, I don't know. I like the next episode more than this one. So uh, that's cool. Um, I don't I, like I said. I thought it was a very good episode. It's just I, structurally, it was just. It just put me off. Just little things like, you know, I I know sometimes you get caught up in the minutiae and the details of things, and usually I can suspend my disbelief, but it just seems silly to me that they would never contact the shuttle, like have a, you know, check mm-hmm. in for, you know, days on days upon it, days. So it was just silly to me. I don't know. It was just, I don't know, just threw me out of the episode. And honestly, I don't remember seeing this episode ever. Hmm. Really? So yeah, I don't ever remember. I don't remember anything about it. I was like, oh, so when we first watched, when you the you know you when you see the um the tease, it was just like I don't remember this episode because it's pretty prolific. I would think that would be something I would remember, but I didn't. So it's kind of like brand new to me. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, brand new to you, and maybe it's a little bit lower down in your list than it is for Steve and me. Yeah, like I said, I think there's a lot in this episode for Commander Tucker and Lieutenant Reed. I think it's a 
great bonding episode for those two. And I can see why with you guys saying maybe they became friends after this, because I'm sure they spent hours upon hours in that thing doing, um, doing this episode. And there's a lot we learn about Reed and Tucker and their relationship. So I think those things are good. It builds, um, the show and the relationships. And maybe that's why, um, a lot of people like this episode. It is um, a funny, yeah. It is funny because you know it's it like like I said, my my kind of gut reaction is to put this as high as I did in the rankings, you know. But but yeah, if you if you do like some kind of in in depth analysis of you know what they're saying in certain episodes, maybe it wouldn't fly as high. I think it's just one of these real unusual ones that just has a it just kind of has that vibe for me. It's almost kind of on the line of a a movie that's later considered like a cult classic kind of thing, you know, where it just it's kind of this following that this momentum where you can't stop it or something, you know? Or, yeah. But I think, but, but here it seems like the, this, the reaction we're talking about for most people, it was immediate though. Right. It didn't build up. Like I remember what I, I'm almost wondering the opposite. If, if, because at the time I thought, wow, this is a feat, even just directing this episode mm-hmm. would have been a nightmare. That's, that's pretty amazing. They, they did this. I thought that at the time, mm-hmm. I wonder if those thoughts are, you know, um, Giving me some rose tinted glasses here when I watch it, and not allowing, you know, and preventing me from being uh, objective. And I think what you were saying structurally, if they just didn't go back to the Enterprise, and maybe if we didn't know what was going on in the Enterprise, because it kind of just it's kind of a flimsy story what's going on in the ship. It's a lot of the times we'll have that. We talked about that in um, Next Generation, where you know the B story is just kind of like a waste of time. I think maybe. I didn't think about what you guys were talking about a minute ago. If they just maybe they just didn't do anything on the ship at all, except maybe maybe midway through the episode. And I know that from there on, it's like you know the the one of the golden modern rules of, of writing is you change mm-hmm. everything in ten, every ten minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's in in a movie. That's what you do on a TV show. You still have to use your same sets, but you're sure as hell not staying in the same room for ten minutes. Well, they they could have done more with the um, the micro singularities. Maybe they could. Well, they could have well, put some the, more obstacles in there. The other thing you got to remember about this episode, of course, is that the whole reason they did it was because they needed a bottle episode to save money. True. So they had to basically do no, you know, uh, effects, effects and stuff. A lot of the times they've done that. They've they've planned a bottle episode to save money, and then they <laughs> and then they ended up, you know, going off the rails with effects for it. But here they like not only had to do a cheaper episode, they had to like. A lot of times, bottle episode means you're not spending over. Here, they had to like actually save money to make mm-hmm. up for some crazy money they'd spent. Now that always happens, and it always happens around this point in the season. Um, I you know I think it does get point. This this episode gets points for the novelty of it, you know, a little bit. Um, so it, you know, I don't I don't know what it means as to be objective when we all kind of acknowledge that any any work gets some points for being novel. I mean if they if it's doing something that's yeah. hard to do or is unusual, it gets some points for that, you know. Um but I yeah, as the more we talk about it, the more I think that you kind of have to go all all the way. You know, if they'd have gone all the way and made this like a little intimate theatrical <laughs> production, you know, inter- intimate Two man like, show. like theater. Yeah, like something like that. I mean, maybe going down as his, in history as one of these special things, you know, if they yeah. if they'd have filled in the gaps right, you know, but mm-hmm. I don't know. They definitely have chemistry there. They had a little yeah. bit more to work with. But I think you're right. You know, it's like the the risk was too much for them mm. to can to you try that out. Imagine any other two, uh, any Not, other combination of two people on this. Not this, this vibe. Yeah. Well, they're, they're they're a great pair. You know, you have the 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 good old boy from Florida yeah. and the you know and the high class English guy. So I mean, it's it's a interest. It's like opposites. I mean, how it's many like times have you couple. seen that? that all, yeah, it always. It's the odd couple in the in the shuttle pod, right? And it's right. it's a great pairing, and they do it well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what keeps it going. It's just their chemistry. And I mean, I think, like you know, in our hypothetical <laughs> rewrite here, or uh, <laughs> I, I think that I think they still could have like done the dream sequences, you know, the dream sequence thing, <laughs> you know, because that's not really back to the ship, you know, in a way. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, of course the funniest scene is when he's talking about her bum. <laughs> saying bum. Well, actually, I had that thought between this one and the next episode. It's they're so like I hate to I hate to say this, but they're so almost like like prudish. It's like right her bum hee hee hee. <laughs> Have you ever looked? You know. And then in the next episode, we're going to talk about 
when everyone's so like freaked out about the Vulcan saying, oh, you're talking about our mating ritual. <laughs> you know, it's like, you mean sex? Wait, what? Why, you know, why, why are they acting like it's the 1950s? <laughs> That's what it feels like. Right. I mean, like, you wouldn't get that reaction. Beaver. Yeah. If you, if you, if you said, if you started talking, you know, at a regular, <laughs> regular volume about sex in a Starbucks, you're not going to get as much attention as, to every <laughs> yeah. in the, you know, in the next episode. Yeah, that's one. That's one way you can tell that Gene Roddenberry did not have anything to do with this. <laughs> 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 I think he would have rewritten that. That's even the sequence. Have you ever looked at her? Uh... Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I do think we get a lot about Reed and his con- his growing connection to this and you know we'll get more I think we get a lot of that in the next episode about T'Pol so um, for, for that I think it's a very good episode I just I don't know just I was a little disappointed so I don't know if I can make it not number two on my list oh that's cool that's interesting mm-hmm. well um, do we have anything for what it's about survival Mashed potatoes will save you. <laughs> yeah, this is one of these weird ones that's hard to nail down, you know, when it's... Mm. Well, it's kind of these one of these outside. I think it's... The episode still holds up because it's such a um, a good... Um, you learn... Th- these characters, you know, they be, you know, they go through this situation and they become closer for and, you know, form a stronger relationship moving forward. So... I think in that respect, it's it holds up and it's important to the to Enterprise because um, yeah, the chemistry that they built there. I mean, it's it's clear that you know um, <clears throat> extreme situations can bring people together. I mean, that's something we're seeing here. I don't know if that's a message or a moral, but that's definitely going on. And there's also the notion of how people handle uh, handle a crisis or feeling like their life's going to end and, uh, and how they choose to handle that differs a lot. I mean, you really see two different, two different philosophies here, you know, coming from two different, two different, uh, attitudes about what's happened and the realism of it and choosing to, uh, you know, face the reality or fight it, you know, in a way it's, it, that, that kind of, that's interesting, you know, and everybody has, is somewhere along that continuum. These are almost like two extremes in that continuum, you know, on the end of the, that continuum. I guess one of the things that holds it back for me is when I, I you know, we, and we've kind of been hitting around about this, but you know, it 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 doesn't have that kind of shape to it. Uh, when I think about something like duet, the mm-hmm. way it, the way it kind of is moving, you know, if you think of it as a graph, yeah, there's there's little bitty peaks and valleys, but basically it's 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 on, it's crescendoing mm-hmm. all the way all the way to this wonderful climax. This episode doesn't really have that. It, it mm-hmm. never really does. I mean, you've got, you've got, you've got, Trip. He yells at at Reed, like in the first scene where he's like, "Set!" I said, "Set a course." Mm-hmm. You know, you've already got this kind of. You can't have a one-hour crescendo. Yeah. Um, or peak, I should say. Um, so it doesn't really have that. And then, and then the ending, I think, uh, shows that more than anything. Where they're just—it's—it's it's this a scene that could have been in pretty much anywhere else in the episode, uh, and then it just basically fades to black and fades up, and they're in sick bay, you know. Uh, so it's like the ending leaves a little bit to be desired too, um, and I think it's that lack of shape and focus and climax that makes the episode feel a little bit rudderless and makes it hard for us to pick out what it's about and that's what means it doesn't hold up quite as well as as, as you know I, I would have thought when it first aired mm-hmm. um, that it would do so very good I think it's still number two for the season for me but maybe the distance between one and two is a little bit greater than I originally thought mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I just, I would still call it a can't-miss episode of Enterprise. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right. Let's move on to Six Degrees for Shuttlepod 1. Um, Adam, going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Which primary character is only seen, not heard, in this episode? I guess it comes goes without saying that it's a little bit difficult for me to do our usual Six Degrees since there were no guest stars in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so which primary character is only 
excuse me, I meant that the other way. I screwed that up. Which primary character is only heard and not seen in this episode? That'd be Hoshi? Nope. Steve? Ooh. Um, let's see. Gosh. Is it Mayweather? Yep, it was Mayweather. Yeah. Steve? It was one of the two. <laughs> the whiskey bottle is labeled... Dorton's Best, which is a reference to Louise Dorton, a member of the crew. What was her position? Hmm. Uh, oh, this gosh. This is a hard one, yeah. Uh, production design. Hmm. I mean, if we were talking about a movie, the answer to that would definitely be incorrect. And that's not her official... Uh, I don't know. Well, let me see. Adam, what would you say? Let's, let me make sure. If, if Adam gets it exactly, then we'll definitely mm-hmm. not. Steve. Um, costume design? No. The answer is, is art it? director. Okay, I figured something uh, like that. So I don't, I mean, that's, that is different from production design. Yeah, that's different. I, I get show, you. There's probably not as much of a difference. Mm-hmm. But, all right. Uh, all right. Steve has one. Adam has none. Moving on. Season 1, Episode 17, Production Number 117, Original Air Date, February 27th, 2002. Directed by Rob Hedden, Story by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, Teleplay by Phyllis Strong and Mike Sussman, Music Composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Enrique Murciano as Tolaris, Robert Pine as Taven, Vaughn Armstrong as Admiral Forrest, and John Harrington Bland as Cove. En route to explore a nebula, the crew is hailed by a civilian Vulcan ship. The ship's captain, Tavane, reveals that his vessel is in need of repairs. Archer offers to help and, provides the, and provided the Vulcans don't mind tagging along for the exploration of the nebula. Archer and T'Pol host Tavan and one of his crews, Toloris, for dinner. Over the course of the meal, Archer and T'Pol are shocked at the emotional and pleasant and open nature of their guest. Tavarin explains that he and his crew are on a pilgrimage to explore and, and incorporate their emotions to find balance between mo- emotion and logic. Tell me about your dreams. Your emotions were closer to the surface. It must have been intense. It involved a memory. I was walking down a street in San Francisco on Earth. Fusion, uh, Adam. Why don't you kick us off on Fusion? Sounds like you like this one a lot. Yeah, I did. I, I like the um, the different perspective on the Vulcan culture that we got out of this episode. Um, it's interesting to see that not all Vulcan. I know we all Vulcan Vulcans don't believe the same way, and I like when we see like differences in um, the races. You know, I think we get stuck in. Get stuck in the classification that all Vulcans are the same, all Klingons are the same. I think somewhere down the line we get an episode with a Klingon who isn't a warrior. Um, I'm not sure what season it's in. Um, he's actually a lawyer or something. So I kind of like this aspect of a different kind of approach to um, the characterization of a race um, in Star Trek and just a different look at it. We also, um, Paul gets to kind of explore this and we kind of get to, I like that we get to find out a little bit more about her, why she's there. Even though it doesn't turn out very well for her in this episode, I think we, we kind of learned that she has a more of an interest in humans and emotions than um, previously thought. So um, I, I just liked all the, yeah, that's what I liked about it. Steve, some of your first thoughts? Yeah, I, I like this too, and I think it does have something to say. It's interesting to see these, I mean, it's a big revelation that the Vulcan mind meld is from some underground, uh, you know, kind of. Uh, yeah. You know, versus the mainstream Vulcans or whatever, we learn that here. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting the issues it raises, the questions it raises in terms of handling one's emotions, and we get inside some more insight into why for Vulcans it's so imperative they keep it in check, or you know, at least for most Vulcans. And um, you know, I'd really like a T-shirt that says something like "Just because you smile and eat chicken doesn't mean you mastered your emotions." That sounds like some fun bumper <laughs> sticker or something. Like that. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like, um, you know, this, we talked about the, the dream sequence, like in the last one, which I mean, it was funny, but stinky. <laughs> 
I don't know. Maybe it was a little obvious. I th I think I I like this dream sequence or, or this idea that that Tapal's great uh, emotional renaissance came about because of um, jazz music. Jazz music. I mean, that's that's awesome. And it's not just I don't know. It's not like uh, stage band jazz or something. I mean, it's like the really wild mm -hmm. sounds almost like serialist modern music or something kind of jazz you know very modern jazz i guess for, um which is which is pretty um you know emotionally all over the map you know i, I so i think it's it, i think it's cool that and, and very interesting that 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 was her great um secret almost you know like uh like she had a one night affair or something with with music <laughs> mm -hmm. um i think that's really that's really interesting and very telling about not just vulcans but her character very specifically um i always kind of remembered that too it's not often you remember the dream sequences because because they are supposed to be a little bit um nondescript sometimes but but that one i always remembered um and uh, yeah i think that this episode I think it's maybe a little bit better than I remembered because I didn't remember quite how effectively it it it, it communicates this idea that um, Vulcans are not humans that uh, learn to control their emotions. Mm -hmm. No, they're way, way, way more emotionally extreme, and uh, to the point of even just just violent and it's not just yeah. like the the uh minority rare human that is that way like vulcans are like all that way you know and if they hadn't had somebody like uh Sirach help them you know um control this they would have been you know they might not even have survived as a species they might have destroyed themselves yeah so I think that's that's kind of neat that this episode shows us that without without hitting us over the head with it. Um, so it's it's kind of who wrote this one, Steve? Who wrote this? This is uh, the story is Berman and Braga. The teleplay was with Phyllis Strong and Mike Sussman. Okay, yeah, I definitely remember liking a lot of what Sussman did. Um, so yeah, this is interesting, and I believe this is isn't this the episode maybe in either seasons two or three? I don't remember, but there's like a kind of a follow up where we find out that yeah, I believe so. Yeah, um, Depaul contracted some kind of a disease from this mind melt. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so a lot of a lot of good stuff in here. Yeah, I mean, I like how they you know it's. It's kind of a violent ending for T'Pol, but I kind of like how they just didn't kind of gloss over that, and it was kind of a nice, happy ending. These Vulcans are going to, you know, be more human. There's, they mention it early on in the episode. You know, T'Pol is very adamant to Archer about there are, you know, this is dangerous. This is, you know, this is. There's a reason why we we are the way we are, yeah. and um, I like that they in the instead of not showing that in this episode, um, they did. Um, so, you know, we're not, I, so I, we get that point that this is dangerous, what they're yeah. doing. I like that it wasn't, I mean, the way it normally would be is conservative to Paul tells Archer something like that, you know, and there, and he's like, loosen up. You could really grow from this. And then she ends up growing from it. Mm -hmm. I like that. She's like, no, this is dangerous. These people are dangerous. Uh, and yeah, she's totally right. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't go back the other way. It, Archer is the one who learns. Mm -hmm. He says, I think I finally understand why you meditate every night. You know, so I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You kind of, they kind of, it's interesting. They kind of leave it hanging there. Like he wants to keep talking, but he just doesn't know what to talk about. You know, he kind of slowly walks out the door and half turns and looks back. So kind of like the audience, you're kind of left hanging about what's going on in Paul's mind. Well, yeah. One thing that that scene when, what's his name? Is it Talaris? Is that the character's name? The guy? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Okay. When Talaris melds with her and, you know, kind of violates her a little bit, um, it it reminded me of that scene in Star Trek Nemesis, where mm -hmm. Deanna Troy, it was a violation where she gets like the mind. 
yeah. violation. But in, in Nemesis, it, anyway, I, I'm bringing that because here, it, I think this is the what's done in Fusion is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was done so terribly in Nemesis. It was like laughably, like I think I laughed out loud a little bit when I saw <laughs> Nemesis the first time. But here it's it's done. Here it actually feels like She's being violated. Yeah. yeah, without being some kind of I don't I don't want to use the R word on our show. <laughs> I'm trying not to, but without being some silly, you know, it, it wouldn't even be fair to 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 to, to use that word. Uh, you think about the people's minds. I don't think, um, but I but I I kind of I empathize with her and I and I recognize and I feel this is a violation as opposed to the way, you know, Nemesis. Well, they did it well. Well, they did it well. There, I mean, you know, there's physical contact between the two, and they, you can see in the Tolaris's face, he's getting pleasure out of feeling her emotions. Yeah, yeah, he's he's enjoying, he's enjoying this reaction that she is experiencing. Um, But it's 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 done. It's so like visceral, you know, that it is offensive. That it is. I think I'll put it another way. Up until this scene. I thought, like Archer, you know, I thought that she was just, Topal was just being um, too too conservative. Um, She's open to some ideas here. Obviously, she had that experience with the jazz music. And we we get a very specific sense that she is abnormal for a Vulcan. You know, most Vulcans are exactly what we think of them in the way that they repress completely those experiences and emotions. So we already have a sense that I mean, and she's she's obviously likes being on this human ship for all this for this unprecedented amount of time. We already know that she is different from the average Vulcan, so she's kind of already susceptible to this kind of setup. So, like I said, it could have easily just as easily gone the other way. Oh yeah, see, she was just being conservative. Now she's growing more, but it doesn't go that way. And my point was, up until that scene where he violates her, I actually thought that she was wrong. Archer was right. These other people are maybe even more evolved than the average Vulcan. But that scene shows me what, you know, Archer is going to learn later whenever uh, Talaris knocks him to the ground in his, in his quarters. Or no, it's his office, sorry. Um, Which I like that. I like that scene because I like that. I like when Archer, that, I like when that character is that way, that kind of, you know, he's cool, we're all buddies, and then, and then, it, just, then it just turns on you like that. It's like, you yeah. know damn well what you did. I, mean, I love that. I love it. <laughs> yeah, he's got that, like, wry smile the whole time. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Waiting for him to play that card. Right. Yeah. What's this episode about? I, I think it's, it's, it's kind of that, you know, I mean, not to not to be cliched about things that have to do with Vulcans and emotions, but it's that kind of double-edged sword of, of emotions that, you you know, it's easy to take for granted how powerful of a thing it is. On one hand, we see, we see the joy, we see the exploration, we see the, you know, what's, what's intriguing about feeling, you know, I mean, most of us would, most of us would agree that without feeling, what is, what is life really, you know, that, you know, we see that ex- new experiences and joy and this kind of stuff, but it's, it, it's a, there's, it's a balance for a reason because left unchecked, if you just let it go, you know, who knows what crazy stuff you're going to do, you know, I mean, it's, it's that balance for me. It's like, it's, it's kind of just a new way to look at that balance between logic and emotion. Yeah. Well, I think, sound... go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, kind of flocks kind of sums up this, this episode. Um, you know, it's, it's good to experience new things, but these other people have more experience at it. So go slowly. Um, mm-hmm. um, be educated in what you're getting into before you let somebody you know, touch your brain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, real quick, I also like the B story in this. With the, I was um, just about to ask. It doesn't sound like either one of you like the themes you guys are bringing up. It doesn't sound like the B story. You know, um, the story of um, uh, Cobb or what's that his name? Cobb, like the baseball player. What? Cobb, uh, I think is Cobb. Cobb, right? The V, not not the B. Cobb. Uh, needing to contact his dying father um doesn't sound like uh that storyline works with the themes you guys are talking about well i mean i did kind of i did think about how um you know tucker urged him on to make contact with him and and it did you know in a way it it enhanced his it prevented him from some negative experience later on it's kind of that 
you know, take taking it, it's it's a it's a funny balance because that that was more about taking chances than not for for him for that character because if he hadn't, uh, his father would eventually passed away, never experienced it, maybe he would have regretted it, whatever. In this case, taking you know having the taking the momentum, taking that uh, step to contact him, you know, was a positive thing for him. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it didn't resonate with me a great deal it seemed like i'm like a minor thing in the background but i mean yeah so i just found that to be you know there's the amusing scene you were talking about earlier when he's when they're in the they're talking about sex and just the mis <laughs> misconceptions about um what they thought of humans and you know what they think about vulcans i kind of like those different conversations it's much more it's much more of a lighter subject um than what um DePaul was going through but um, I thought it was. I thought the character was good, and I kind of I liked the, I liked the scene between um, Trip and him at the end when he was um, explaining regret to him and what it would be like. So I thought that was a pretty good scene. Maybe if they if they I don't think if they didn't have that scene, then it would have been just kind of a eh, not so good a B story. But mm. I, I like that. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out. Um... Flox has like one scene, and it's probably my favorite scene in the episode, just because <laughs> Flox is so I mean, that he yeah. as an actor is so good. He's yeah. he's Billingsley. Billingsley is so good, and it's funny whenever he only has like one scene, and it sticks out to me because he is so convincing. He is so natural and good uh, that that just makes it stick out all the more how how much at least his performances speak to me and how good I think he is. All right. <laughs> Six degrees for fusion. Steve has one. Adam has none. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Robert Pine plays Tavin, the Vulcan captain that seems like a nice guy. He also played Ambassador Lyria in Voyager's third season in the episode The Shoot. In this episode, which two members of Voyager's crew find themselves in the prison on the other end of The Shoot? Mm. Okay. Is it um, Kim in Paris? You are right, Kim in Paris. Adam? Yes. Robert's son, now this is in real life, Robert Pine's son played a rather high-profile Star Trek role. Who's his son? Oh, Chris Pine. That's right, Chris Hmm. Pine. (laughs) Yeah, I always remember that. uh, Robert Pine doesn't make me think of... Star Trek, even though he had a couple of Star Trek roles, he makes me think of chips. Mm. <laughs> Which, incidentally, where I live now, it's like um, five minutes from where they shot all the huh, chips. Uh, anyway. All right. Uh, so Steve has two, Adam has one. Moving on. Rogue Planet, Season 1, Episode 18, Production Number 118, Original Air Date, March 20th, 2002, Directed by Alan Croker, Story by Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, and Chris Black, Teleplay by Chris Black, Music Composed by Paul Belergen. Guest Cast Includes Stephanie Nisnik as The Wraith, Connor O'Farrell as Burzon, Eric Pierpoint as Sherat, and Keith Serbajka as Domrus. <laughs> Captain Archer is eager to investigate the dark surface of a rogue planet, one that has broken out of its orbit. Due to hot gas venting from the planet's interior, small oases have formed and scans show a surprisingly large number of varied forms of life within them. Lieutenant Reed also picks up the power signature of an alien ship. So Archer decides to take an away team to Paul, Reed, and Hoshi to the thick black jungle of the planet's surface. Using their scanners and navigation technology, the team locates an alien campsite. You wouldn't be the first person who looked into the jungle and saw something that wasn't there. She was real. Captain Archer, what are the chances you'd encounter a half-naked woman who you think you know dozens of light years from your home world? Steve, I believe you told me this is your all-time favorite episode. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you kick us off on Rogue Planet? Yeah, I think it's mostly kind of silly, really. Um, so, I mean, there's just too much. There's not enough of anything substantial happening and too much silliness. And, uh, you know, really, I was, I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about the goofy slug ending, you know, <laughs> of this. You know, the chick turning into the slug thing. And it's kind of, it's kind of 
Voyager threshold silly in a way. I mean, you know, it kind of like let's cap it off with a silly, creepy looking, you know, um, looks like, you know, what are those things on the sea monkeys that you, on the comic books? You, know, you used to see, you know, pictures of she turns into like a sea monkey thing or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that just caps off what already was a great episode with that. <laughs> um, yeah, I just don't, there, I don't have a whole lot to say about this it's it's mostly i mean the, you know the whole thing about the the woman of his dreams really i mean it's she doesn't i don't i don't know i mean i it's one of these I just kind of, bleh, nothing comes out i can't you know i remembered it when when it, when it's like oh yeah this one with with her <laughs> whole changeling thing and the woman and all yeah but um i mean you know and I don't know if there's supposed to be some kind of like a like a anti-hunting thing in there either. You know, there kind of feels like a little bit yeah. of that because, um, but it, the way it's played is almost silly too because you know it's like okay, well it's already you know the Federation they've stopped hunting fine and then but all of these guys seem kind of ridiculous. You know, they're all kind of let's go out. You know, it's kind of like a modern day redneck thing or something. I don't know the way they're portrayed and so. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's not, not much going on here. Yeah. And it's not just, um, it's not just the way they're portrayed. It's, it's how like instantly, um, okay. You would expect the crew of the enterprise, the one ship Starfleet has, or, yeah, uh, that's that's going out there and exploring the galaxy in a way that no other human vessel ever has. You would expect that vessel, hundred you know plus years from now, um, to be populated with extremely empathetic people, like culturally. Right, right. These people react so immediately against, like you know under their breath, like, I can't believe they're hunting, you know, mm -hmm, what are they, mm -hmm. Neanderthals. Um, and this, these are aliens that they just met, you know, and it doesn't, mm -hmm. it, 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 they're reacting the way that, I don't even know people would react now, like people reacted 10 years ago, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that, that rings is very uh, untrue, um, you know, uh, out of time for me. And out of character, these characters. I, I think are. I think these these characters are smarter than this episode. In fact, on a different note, I feel like I'm ahead. Of, I, I'm ahead of this episode so early on. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. How is Archer surprised when it turns out? <laughs> <laughs> right. They're, they're going to harm us. Who? Who's going to harm you? There's nobody here except us and the hunters that are hunting to kill somebody. I don't know what's going on. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 yeah, the um, the way they resolve it in a way too is is kind of, is heavy-handed, and then they're kind of like there in your face a little bit too. So that also doesn't make them look good either. I don't know what the best answer would have been that would have been consistent. The, way they, with... the, the real the ending ending makes me laugh, not because of the slug. Mm -hmm. But because it almost feels like it was written, <laughs> like somebody different wrote it, and they didn't read the rest of the episode. Because <laughs> the 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 slug before it becomes a slug, like as a blonde woman, yeah, says to Archer, almost as if this was the theme of the whole episode: never stop seeking what seems unattainable. And my first thought was, boy, it's a good thing she didn't give that advice to the hunters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I kind of wish you maybe, I mean, if they're going to do that, why don't you just turn into the slug thing while you're kissing him or something? You know, make it even fun, goofier, you know, like why don't you just put go all the way. All of a sudden, squishy, weird, oh my gosh, you know, whatever. We'll yeah, I don't know. understand. Yeah. yeah, I don't understand how this concept kind of got through all the various people who approve scripts because it's like, it's not like we aren't all familiar with DS9 and shapeshifters. It just, I don't, it just, uh, it just seemed weird. The whole episode. Archer comes off to act kind of foolish most of the episode. Um, I agree with you guys about the hunting thing. That was kind of abrupt and in your face. Just, um, yeah, just wasn't a very good episode. <laughs> even the planet. Even the planet itself was kind of out there for science fiction. Yes, there are rogue planets, but for it to actually support, like, 
life like that? I don't, I don't think that's quite possible, but okay. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a fan of when they, they make some kind of strange astronomical phenomenon and then it has nothing to do with anything else. Like, why does it need to be a rogue planet yeah. or gases emanate from it if it's this scenario? I mean, if, if you would have explained that, ooh, you know, it's uncharted and that's why no one's ever found it before, or, I don't know, it's something, but there's just no reason why it needs to be all by itself out there. Yeah. It would have been yeah, a more interesting, I think it would have been a more interesting episode to figure out why it went all the cut all the way out there. Who knows? Yeah, there are just so many things about this episode. Mm-hmm. Even even those those green eyepieces that they wear are so dumb. <laughs> they're Borg they're, they're bore guy implants? Yeah, they're so dumb. You're like, you know what? There's a reason I don't remember ever seeing these again. Yeah. <laughs> they're so stupid. <laughs> just look dumb. They look like uh, something Nintendo would have made as an add-on to their, con- to their Nintendo system like in 1987. That's what they look like. <laughs> Yeah. Oh God! Yeah, those things are done. I, 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 you know, some kind of silver lining here. I do like the exchange Archer and T'Pol had somewhere in the middle. You know, where he's wanting someone to believe him, kind of. You know, about this woman he sees, and um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't remember the the meat of what that really was discussed, but it is kind of another step in. Okay, see how the confidence that they have in one another a bit growing and understanding and stuff too a little bit. But, you know, again, I'm just trying to come up with something positive. Well, it's I mean, funny she the accuses way... him of, she, she accuses him of running out to want to get booty. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. The way that in an episode's quality, or lack thereof sometimes, um, informs the different scenes, you know, informs the scenes and the lines. Like, she, she says something to him along the lines of, would you be so determined to find this person if it were a scantily clad man uh-huh. now if the rest of the episode had been better I think that there could have been something in that line but given the tone and timbre of the rest of the episode and what I thought of the quality of the rest of the episode up until that point when she said that line I thought her next line was going to be booyah <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't no. so you know what are you going to do yeah, I, also, I couldn't. This is a bad episode of Star Trek. Real quick, I also couldn't understand the poem and why they decided to go with that kind of where he knew her. And the, early on in the episode, well, maybe it was she's some lost girlfriend or something. And this, yeah, it, you know what? It's inter- like, yeah, it's like it's like people had a bunch of things that they wanted to throw into an episode of Star Trek. Ooh, let, let's put a rogue planet into an episode. That would be cool. And somebody else is like, you know what? I love this 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 Yates poem. It's really cool. Yeah, let's put that <laughs> in throw- there. It's kind of like the the Mad Libs of Star Trek episodes. <laughs> there you go. You know. Yeah. And the other guys like, I'm really against hunting. Yeah. Uh, actually, I did read. You know, my research for this episode, the writer said that he has no, nothing against hunters. Like, guess his dad was a big hunter or something. But sorry, dude. That's what you wrote. <laughs> yep. hmm. Is this episode about anything? Don't eat snails. Why? I don't. I don't uh. They might be um, shapeshifters. Oh, okay. All right. Or slugs, rather. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Is this is this the worst episode of season one? Maybe. It's certainly a contender. Yes. I don't. I don't think I remember disliking any episode. No, it's. Not. I, I, I don't feel like passionate about this episode. I don't feel like hatred. I just think it's a crappy episode mm-hmm, of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? so. yeah, you had a little bit more vitriol for what was the episode when they found the colonies. The, was it the... Yeah, that episode was worse. It was probably made better than this episode. Um, I guess. It, it, it had more interesting things to look at and talk about, like Simon and Simon's mom, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had a little bit more passion behind your dislike. Yeah, that that, no that that episode that episode was. You're, you're was, more was, you're was you're bad. more indifferent to this one. You're like, eh. yeah, yeah. This, this, that's bad when you have a bad one that that is just too bland. And you know, it's like they needed more funny things. You know, you need yeah. to spot this, this one has a little bit. Stuff. Yeah, this one has the funny stuff. Yeah, right. I mean, if you, the more funny stuff, at least you can have something comical where you can so play. Maybe it if they had some. If maybe if Simon and Simon's mom had turned into a slug. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, we done with this one? Yeah. Thank you. We're done. (laughs) Six degrees for Rogue Planet. Uh, What's our score? It's 2-1, one. Steve. 2-1, Steve. All right. Um, Steve? Yeah. Stephanie Nisnik plays Archer's blonde Yates morphing dream creature person woman. In the feature film Star Trek Insurrection, she played Ensign Kel Parham. She is one of Riker's crewmen on the bridge when he takes command of Enterprise and flies out of the zone that is keeping them from contacting Starfleet. Name this treacherous region of space featured in Star Trek Insurrection. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm asking, I'm wanting to know the name they keep referring to it in the movie, yeah. Right, right. Um, The Briar Patch? You're correct. It was the Briar Patch. Uh, The Briar Patch, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Adam Connor O'Farrell plays Beerzan, one of the aliens that hunts Archer's woman creature. He played Jeff Carlson, the human scientist, in Roswell when three Ferengi crashed there in 1947. Name the episode of Deep Space Nine. The episode? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no idea. Steve? Gosh, I'm so familiar with that, and I'm blanking on the name of it. Um, Jeez. I knew the Briar Pratch. If that, that <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, I'm gonna tip my tongue. I, I can't remember now. Well, they are not green. Oh yeah, yeah. Little green men. Little green men. Yes. Yes. Uh, all right. We can't get them all, Brian. All right, so we asked for feedback. Uh, we we all obviously love Dear Doctor, and I think I do think it's my favorite episode of the season. Sounds like Steve feels the same way, and I guess Caesar does too. Maybe yeah. will. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we love it, and but we did ask because we've heard that some people don't. We asked for feedback about why somebody might not, and uh, Data Logan Bremerton Washington responded, and he he summed it up kind of in two for two points, and. Uh, I've I've had to cut it down for time, of course, but his first point was science. This episode seems to portray the idea that something about the Valachians' DNA is causing them to die out as a species, and that that is somehow natural, that it was always slated to happen. Well, I think what Phlox is saying is, is, I don't know, makes it like... (laughs) Like a, a Jurassic Park, you know, nature selected them to die. You know, I can't think of, think of that. But Phlox is saying this one species has almost been selected by nature to die. Um, but yet that species is holding the other one back from evolving. And I, I mean, I can, I, can, I can see where you're coming from, but I think that, I think that um, humans on this planet have already proven that we can... Uh, we are capable of, of cheating nature, and if, if everything is completely left to nature, you would have different results. We do interfere, um, and I'm not just talking about fiction like like Jurassic Park. Uh, but but mostly, I wanted to focus on on uh, another section he had, which was uh, about the morality of the Prime Directive. This is an episode that presents the version of the Prime Directive that exists in later Trek, like the version of the Prime Directive that existed on television or in the movies like 1988 or later, right? Because before then, the Prime Directive was a little different and and more in keeping with morality, in my opinion. But later, the Prime Directive and the version that is presented here is a little more way too focused on the standoffishness of the Federation and how they desperately don't want to get involved with things. So let's say you ignore all the bad science of the episode. You're still talking about allowing the mink to go through all the suffering that is necessary in order to evolve by survival of the fittest. And the way, the reason that works is because some significant portion of your society is being killed off, right? A lot of mink are going to die because the Velakians are no longer around to help them, providing them medicine and fooding and clothing like they are in the current society. And yet, somehow, this show portrays that as the right moral choice? Well, it seems to me 
saying we can't be involved at all is the most logical course of action and the most logical realization of the prime directive. Because admittedly, either way you are playing God, whether you choose to interfere or not, you're playing God. So um, it seems to me that if you're going to do that, if either way you're playing God, then the best thing to do is nothing and allow it to play out naturally. What are you guys' thoughts here? Um, we, well, I know we've, we've talked about well, the Prime Directive a million times, but it's an interesting conversation. Uh, but, you know, that, I wouldn't that's... Be, I, I, I kind of thought Archer did make a moral choice. Not he, You know, he based his choice on, you know, you can't choose one species over another. You know, you, we can't play God. We're not at... And that's, so I kind of felt like he did make a moral choice. Yeah, I think, I mean, and if... Yeah, I mean, and it, number one, ethics and morality, there's a lot of different versions of this, you know, in terms of how you define that, you know, won't get into all these different types. But if, if part of this argument is that, well, the original series had one kind of idea what the prime directive is and next gen and the later ones had a different idea. Sure. And then, you know, if that I can see that. But who's to say, I mean, of course, the. If that's the case, then it's because Enterprise, the show, was made around the time of Next Gen, all those by those creators and not original series. You know, if that if it's more in line with that, but I mean, you could kind of explain that away in the same way that you know nations have different policies that there's an ebb and flow to how much interference they they you know look at the history of the United States, for example, in terms of how much do we interfere in the affairs of other countries and this kind of thing and. Um, you know, in the long term, this kind of thing, you know, changes due due to uh, public opinion, um, the uh, stance of the people in power, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, an episode that that uh, inspires this much conversation to me—that's another piece of evidence that it's that it's a better episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think you know, an episode that makes me think this much and 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 can sustain uh, this kind of dialogue. Thank you so much. Data Logan, for taking the time to uh, send in your thoughts about uh, Dear Doctor. Um, we appreciate it. We read all emails. We listen to uh, anything you send in. Um, so thanks again for taking the time. Um, and thanks for listening to our show. And I would make that same comment to all the people listening to our show right now. Thank you for spending an hour with us. Uh, we get to do this every couple of weeks. We love it every time. It's the first time I did this from my new house. Yay. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the responses, guys out there. We appreciate it. So, you can follow us on Twitter. Twitter That's at Trek Companion. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. By the way, we didn't even mention it. They started shooting the new Star Trek movie, was it last week, I think? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, or was that two weeks ago? Very recently, they're they're well into production. Very exciting. A Who's year from now, we're going to be watching the news. Who's the director? It's uh, Justin Lin, the guy that did not the most recent uh, Fast and the Furious movie, but like the three or four before that. Okay. He did like and Peg, right? And, you know, and Peg wrote it, right? Uh, Peg co-wrote it with his uh, writing partner. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Uh, we don't know a lot about it. it. Looks like Idris Elba, an actor I love, is playing a villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't worry, folks. You'll never hear spoilers from me. Um, but that's about all we know, other than the fact that we do have a release date, and it sounds like they're going to call it Star Trek Beyond. That's about as close to official as you're going to get without it being official, I think. Mm-hmm. So, exciting. You know, hey, Yay. new Star Trek. New Star Trek. Um, but that's a year away. So, in the meantime, you can listen to our show. If you want to <laughs> uh, so, again, thanks for spending your time with us, and we look forward to talking about the next three episodes of Enterprise in two weeks. Thanks again. Take it easy. Bye. See you.
Stefan, I passed it.